or I have been speaking, uh, this month on Wednesday nights on living in uh, the biblical end times and why we're in such end times. So last week I did a brief exposition on Matthew chapter 24 and 25 to understand these times from Jesus' words. And we saw from Jesus' words that there would be a Jewish prophetic time coming. Uh, In Daniel it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, a time of tribulation, but not only for Jews in the world, but it would affect the entire world in some capacity. And I also mentioned that we were doing something called a premillennial view of these end times. Uh, so tonight, I'm not going to go in great depth on what's happening in the actual tribulation period. That's a topic unto itself. Uh, we're going to stop just before the tribulation period begins because we're talking about the biblical end times that we live in. So this is my last teaching on a, on, on a Wednesday night here in uh, September on this topic. So how about if we pray? Father God, we invite Holy Spirit to be our teacher. That, Father God, I would not interfere with what Holy Spirit would do today. We thank you, Lord God, that um, light would come to all of us, Father, understanding of the times we live in, Father, and then how we are to live in such times, Father. We thank you for this, for light to come to us by Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight I want to do an exposition on Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Who here has had teachings on that already? I'm sure many have. Hands? That few, okay. When I first heard of this, I think it was in 1980, nearly knocked me off my chair. I was like, no way. I mean, nearly knocked me off my chair. I was really stunned at this. Uh, First, I had never read Ezekiel 38 and 39 in 1980. I had read mostly in the New Testament at that time. And this really surprised me, like, wow. This is in the Bible, really? It really surprised me. Uh, So these chapters in Ezekiel are a biblical companion to what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 and 25. This is the part of the pre-tribulation time that we've been looking at that we call the end times, our times that we're living in. So Ezekiel's scriptures here are very important for us because they give us a glance what is still the future of our day now. It's still the future of our day. Uh, This could be our immediate future in this decade or in the soon future in decades to come. Uh, It should happen sometime before the generation born in 1948 in Israel passes away. So we are living in amazing times and things can happen extremely, extremely quickly. So a little background here first on Ezekiel so you know where we're at. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. It's good to have it in front of you as, a, as an overall glance because we're just going to be going through scriptures. So if you have it with you uh, and you want to make some notes for yourself there, that's good. If not, no problem. Uh, first of all, Ezekiel chapter 33 through 48 deals with the restoration of Israel as a nation. That's very important. There's different parts to the book of Ezekiel, but that particular one speaks to the restoration of Israel as a nation. Here, is, here Ezekiel is trying to bring comfort to a nation of Israel in Babylonian captivity in his day, where it looks like there's no hope. We're never going back. They'll never be our nation again. This is our lot for the rest of our lives and our children's lives and their children's lives. It's all over. And he's trying to say, oh, no, it's not. 
And the Jewish race always has lived its, um, through its children, through its offspring. The hope of their future, knowing that their children's children, etc., would see the goodness of God, meant everything to them. It's a common Middle Eastern Aramaic concept. And of course, the Jews had that same concept. So here in chapters 33 through 39 are prophecies of a restored Israel one day. Nowhere in the history of Ezekiel's future do we see this restoration take place until June of 1948. Nowhere, and this is written a few thousand years ago, nowhere in the history of the entire Jewish nation did this type of restoration take place until 1948. By chapter 36 here, we're even getting New Testament foreshadows. Although the church and the New Testament is hidden to the Old Testament prophets, they had prophecies that they did not understand that spoke of the, the New Testament in foreshadow. For example, we're not going to turn there, but Ezekiel chapter 36, in verses 26 and 27, he talks about a new spirit I'm going to put into my people. That, that, that's a New Testament revelation. Then when you get to verse 28, he says of Israel, and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Okay, so that's a tremendous word right there of giving them hope. Now, certainly this does speak of their return from Babylonian captivity. But there is also another prophetic view of this where as we go into the next chapter, it's got to represent a much future day of Israel's day as the Jews return to the land. And of course, now we see as the 20th century. So as we move into chapter 37, as we move along here, we're having a progressive revelation of this restored Israel, ending one day in the millennium when the Messiah returns for the second time. And Ezekiel chapter 37, in verses 1 to 10, we have the amazing vision of the valley of dry bones. So much has been taught on this. Uh, it's a picture of the nation being reborn from a national spiritual death. But this rebirth of this death of the nation of Israel is one where they've been scattered among the nations since 70 AD when Rome destroyed the temple and Jerusalem. So this is an impossibility that a new nation would come forth. Never before in human history has that ever happened that a new nation came forth that was totally, utterly destroyed, such as uh, with Israel in 1948. So here in Ezekiel 37, we have the verses 1 to 10, his vision of the valley of dry bones. Then in verses 11 to 14, he gives an explanation of what that vision means of the valley of the dry bones, a political resurrection of this future Israel. Then we go on in verses 15 to 23, and we find out it's not two nations. You have to remember in Ezekiel's day, there's Israel of the north and Judah of the south. Israel of the north is taken over by Assyria, and Judah of the south is the one that goes into captivity. He's talking here about a one united nation one day of Israel and Judah in one complete nation. Again, they didn't even have a vision of that as a people at that time. So when we look back here in verse chapter 36, verse 24, he says, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands, and I will bring you into your own land. Very interesting wording. From the nations, the lands. This cannot speak of the Babylonian captivity. 
This is a picture of a nation coming back from the graves of scattered Jews across the Gentile nations of history only to be fulfilled in 1948. So Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 are now going to follow chapter 37. Big revelation there. And But nowhere in the historical history prior to 1948 has this ever been fulfilled. So we see here Ezekiel 38 and 39 is future of 1948, what we're going to be looking at here. Then in chapter 37, we're still in 37, verses 28, uh, 24 to 28, we have the prophetic second coming of Christ into the millennium. And then we have Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is a future regathering, future of Ezekiel's day that we're going to look at. So this is a very long reading. It could take us hours to go through this. So tonight we're only going to look at the important points uh, as we look at what the topic is this month, the biblical end times that we're living in. Uh, and it's amazing that because we are from the 20th and 21st century, we now have a view or can have a view of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that no one could have had in centuries prior to us. We have an understanding and a clarity presented to us as never before in the history of the human race. This is fascinating days that have been revealed to us. So, if you have your Bibles open, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, some Bibles have headings over chapters. Here in my Bible it says, prophecy about Gog and future invasion of Israel. Do you have something like that in yours? You do. A lot of nods. If you don't, that's okay. Your different publishers put different things in. Okay, so we have the prophecy about something called Gog, and it's not a drink from uh, the Vikings, and uh, then the future invasion of Israel. So let's read verses 1 to 7. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man. Isn't that interesting? He calls himself son of man, and, or God does, and what was Jesus' favorite name for himself? Son of man. Son of man, set your face toward Gog and the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshesh and Tobal, and prophesy against him. And say, this is what the Lord God says, Behold, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshesh and Tobal. So I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, and all the magnificently dressed a great contingent with shield and buckler, all them wielding swords, Persia, Cush, Put with them, and all of them with buckler and helmet. Gomer and its troops. Beth Tomagar from the most remote parts of the north, and with all its troops, many peoples with you. Be ready and be prepared, you and all your contingents that are assembled around you, and be a guard for them. Okay, here we have in these first verses Ezekiel names lands and peoples that he knew in his day. Over the centuries, these names of lands and peoples have changed. The only one of the rare ones that haven't is Egypt. What Egypt was then, Egypt is now. That's extremely rare that has the same name. So uh, what are the names of these lands and peoples today? Let me have slide one. Oh, we got it already? It's coming up. Slide one. Slide one. There it is. Okay. Verses two to four. These are all non-Arab races. We have Gog and Magog, which 
today is physically the Russian territories, Tories, and the area of Turkey. Then there's Meshesh, which is the modern-day Moscow area. There's Tobol, and there is actually a city today in Russia called Tobolsk. If I have it written wrong there, I have Tobolsky. It's actually spelled T-O-B-O-L-S-K. Don't trust computers. Okay. And then we have Rosh, which is modern-day Russia. So tonight I'm going to make some very general statements about the modern identities of these biblical lands and peoples. For more information on the ethnological origins of these lands and peoples, let me have slide three. I highly suggest you pick up a book by Chuck Missler called uh, The Book of Ezekiel Commentary Handbook. It's published by uh, khouse.org, kononiahouse.org. I'll be referencing Dr. Uh, uh, Missler tonight more than once. I forgot his exact background besides a great Bible teacher. He may have been a military man or scientist. I don't remember which, and I could be wrong about that. But um, he is one of the most sensible, modern writers and commentators on watching the times we live in and how it relates to the Bible. Now, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but he has had some excellent books so if you're interested in this kind of topic, his commentary on the book of Ezekiel and also the book of Daniel are highly recommended. They're really good books to have in your library if you want to look at this topic. Because on this topic, there are some really odd things written that shouldn't have been written. But this man is sensible and very much in tuned to things that I've never even heard before that we'll mention tonight because of the research he did when he was alive. So he was a really fine brother in Christ. He'll be missed in the body of Christ so we see here um, in verse 4, the prophecy says, So I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and pull you out and your whole army. Now, what's that hook that God's going to use to pull these armies out? It's probably a political alliance that pulls them into an attack on the nation of Israel. Uh, probably due to this alliance, especially with Iran. Uh, Islam could very well be the hook. Islam wants Israel annihilated, period. And uh, so that could possibly be the hook because of the economic ties. Well, if you want our oil, are you going to cooperate? Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and possibly in some capacity, the need for oil will be possible. All right, verses 5 and 6 here now on your slide. There's Gomer, which is modern-day Germany. There's Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And those of you who are old enough like me to remember, it wasn't called Iran years ago. It was called Persia. And Put is modern-day Libya area. Ethiopia could represent Literally Ethiopia or the northern African nations, more like the northern African nations, which are all Islamic. So uh, keep all that in mind, the northern part of Africa. Again, Dr. Missler gives you a lot more information on these lands and people origins and even shows you, if you want to do further research, where to go to get that, if you have that interest. So um, that's important that we get, these, get this right. These aren't just good guesses. These are the modern-day uh, nations in the biblical times that Ezekiel was in. God's not going to tell him the word Germany. It would mean nothing to him. It's going to tell him about a physical location and that physical location where it will be in our day. So that's the whole point here. Okay, we go on here to verse 8. All right, so you've got this big massive army. After many days, 
you will be summoned, these nations. In the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations and mountains of Israel, which had been a continual place of ruins, but its people were brought out of the nations, and they're living securely, all of them. So here we have in verse 8, notice here it says, in the latter days. This cannot refer to uh, Ezekiel's day. And nowhere after Ezekiel's day has such a thing been seen in human history. So this is still a future prophetic of our day. We believe strongly this is post-June 14th, 1948. And we are now reading about the future of our day. Again, immediate future or soon future. Then we have verses 9 to 18 in which this attack is described. This is what we would call World War III or a similar. So let's start reading there from 9 to 18. And you will go up and you will come like a storm and you'll be like a cloud covering the land, you and your troops and many peoples with you. Now, as we read this, you're going to see a lot of symbolism. Uh, he's going to use a lot of symbolism here. He's seeing something that's future of his day, that's foreign to him in his culture and in his day. So he's going to use the language of his day to describe what he's seeing in vision. Okay, because when they say horses, I doubt there's going to be horses. They might be, but, you know, today they have tanks and carriers and stuff like that. So it's a different world today, unknown to his day. Okay, um, verse 19, and this is what the Lord God says. It will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest, who live securely, all of them without walls, having no bars or gates, to capture spoils and seize plunder and to turn your hand against the ruins that are now inhabited. Again, when... when um, uh, Israel became a state in 1948. That land was pretty much in ruins. It was the Jewish nation that rebuilt that physical land. Against the peoples who are gathered from the nations and have acquired livestock and goods who live at the center of the world. Isn't that interesting? Jerusalem is the center of the world. Jerusalem, there's many verses that show that, that we're not going to go over tonight. Jerusalem is the, the, the capital of the world. It is the center of world activity and has been prophetically for centuries and still is. You know, of all the great cities you have on the globe today, nothing is hotter than Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Okay, verse uh, 13 here. Uh, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. Tarshish is a Lebanon area. But that could just refer to the Middle East area there. Uh, Tarshish, with all its villages, will say to you, have you come to capture spoils? Have you assembled your contingent to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to capture great spoils? Now, again, each Ezekiel is speaking of things that are of value in his day, from his day's perspective. I don't think the Russians are going to come and take livestock. I don't think so. You know, they might eat them, but I don't think they're going to take them. So that's not obviously what this is about. But in his day, that is a big deal. But not in our day in the same way. <clears throat> Verse 14. You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. Where is Russia? Extreme north uh, east of Israel. And with many peoples with you, 
This is a whole coalition army, not just the Russian army. All of them riding horses. Again, this is from his perspective, Ezekiel, in his day. And a large assembly and a mighty army. Verse 16. And you will come up against my people. Now God's taking this personal. My people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days I, and that I will bring you against my land. God's getting real personal here. So that the nations will, may know me. And when I show myself holy through, uh, through you before their eyes, Gog. Verse 17. This is what the Lord God says. Are you the one of whom I spoke in the former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? It will come about on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord, my fury will mount up in my anger. So, a uh, side comment here, I'll say it again probably later, but this is not the war of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 16. That is a totally different event. There are some Bible teachers that say this is, it is not. That's a total different event when you get to Revelation 16. Okay, we see here now, very interesting wording. In verses 19 to 22, let me read 19 to 22 and then go back. 19 to 22, in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will be a, certainly a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, all the crawling things that crawl on the earth, and all mankind who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence, not just that area, at my presence, and the mountains will be thrown down. Pretty hard task there. And the, the steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him on my mountain, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With plague and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential uh, rain, hailstones, fire, and brimstones. Wow. So we see here in verses 19 and 22, a great earthquake stops them. Now, it's very possible uh, Ezekiel is seeing this through his day, and it's not an earthquake. It could very easily be a massive nuclear blast. That would cause a lot of this to happen, for sure. Something in Ezekiel's day he could never understand. Um, it also, in verse 20 here that we read, highly implies this is a global event. Thus, the World War III scenario. Now, there's a lot of varieties on uh, these opinions in the, in, the, in the church. That's just one view. Uh, some see these things happening after the rapture takes place. Others see the rapture happening right after this war takes place. Uh, after this war, other scriptures show us it appears that's when the Antichrist rises up as a great peacemaker and say, whoa, haven't we seen enough war? I have the answers. And the world will be quick to follow him. Surely we don't ever want to see this again. What are your answers? Tell us what to do. That appears what will be happening. Now, in my personal view, I see the rapture happening after this war takes place, but that's just my opinion. Doesn't mean I'm right. 
Okay? Saw a cartoon one time. This guy was preaching at the, at the pulpit. And whenever he said, everyone in the congregation went, ah! all the hair's going back. He goes, well, there could be other interpretations of this, you know. So, fear not. But uh, we see here some really heavy things happening. Okay. Uh, chapter 39. Right after this, a continuation of this prophecy into 39. So let's read here in verses 1 to 6. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, This is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am against you, Gog, uh, chief priests of Meshesh and Tobol. And I will turn you around, lead you on a rope, take you from the most remote parts of the north, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows fall from your right hand. And you will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And I will give you as food for every predatory bird or an animal of the field. That's like one of the most disgraceful things that could happen to an army. Uh, verse 5, and you will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. Verse 6, and I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. Okay, in verses 1 to 6 here, we have a judgment on Russia. And uh, because it obviously it tells to us Gog and Mishash and Tobol. Um, and by the time we get to verse 6, I will send fire upon Magog. Uh, more than likely, what we might be looking at here is a short exchange nuclear war. But certainly not a devastating nuclear war creating a nuclear winter, which would destroy all life on planet Earth. Um, fascinating here, though. And those who inhabit the coastlands in safety. Who are the coastlands? The truth is, it's unknown. It has been speculated this could be America because America is known as a coastland nation. We are a coastland nation. We border two oceans and with a, with a big coastline. Uh, so we don't know. Nobody should say that dogmatically. It's America. We don't know that. We just don't know. But it certainly would be interesting because um, when you read in uh, Revelation, I think it's chapter 18, uh, about uh, mystery Babylon and the whole world cries and mourns over commerce uh, that comes from it being destroyed in one hour, it says. Only a nuclear war could do that in one hour. And what in, in the entire world uh, depends on the commerce of one city, New York City. So we don't know. Those are just speculations. But it kind of shows the seriousness of what this is about. Um, and America is certainly not in biblical prophecy. People try to put it in biblical prophecy, but it's not there. It's an unknown uh, nation at that time. That's why when the book of Revelation was written, it's mystery Babylon. It's something that exists future of John's day in the first century. And it's a mystery to them. They don't know what it is. But surely it has to be here today. What is that? We don't know clearly. There's many opinions, but that's all they are is opinions. Um, verse 3 here is fascinating. I will strike your bow with your left hand and make your arrows fall out of your right hand. More than likely, arrows here represent missiles. And if you didn't know this, this is a wild one. It was, I got this from Chuck Missler. 
What is the current name of the Israeli missile defense system? The Arrow Missile Defense System. How about that? Hey, these Jews aren't dumb. You think they read Ezekiel 39? I think they did. Why would they name it the Arrow Defense System? Very interesting. Just a thought. That's, that, that is its real name. Wow, why would they choose that as the name? And here we have this scripture in Ezekiel. Pretty wild, I thought. Um, okay, then we go on here. Something's happening here. It's extremely intense. Uh, probably not an earthquake. It's probably in our understanding what nuclear war would be. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Then those who inhabit in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them, both the bucklers, the shields, the bows, and the arrows, the war clubs, and the spears. For seven years, they will make fires with them. They will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest because they will make fires with weapons and take the spoils of those who plundered them and seize the plunders of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. So, seven years of burning a fuel. And it has been speculated that uh, that's a nuclear fuel they will be burning for seven years. And just to bring another oddity in here, which Chuck Missler had pointed out, um, prior to uh, the USSR falling, we never knew what the recycle time of Russian nuclear energy was, especially in the missiles. Uh, that was kept a secret by the USSR. When the USSR fell, a lot of information was made public. Guess what the recycle time of a Russian nuclear weapon is? Seven years. Wow. No one knew that until the USSR fell. That's from Chuck Missler. So as we go on here, with more good news, right? Uh, let's see here. Let's look at verses now 11 and 12. On that day, I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by the east of the sea, and it will block the way of all those who would pass by. So they will bury Gog with all its hoard, and they will call the valley Hamangog. Verse 12, for seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Verse 12, no, where am I? 13, thank you in my eyes. And all of the people of the land will bury them, and it will be their renowned on the day I, that I appear in my glory, declares the Lord the, God. Verse 14, they will select men who will constantly pass through the land. This is interesting. Burying those who were passing through, and those left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it at the end of the seven months, they will conduct a search. This is real detail stuff. Why are you putting all this detail here? Verse 15, and those who pass through the land, uh, those who pass through the land, pass through, and anyone sees a human bone, they will set a marker by it until the burial detail has buried it in the valley of Hamangog. Isn't that fascinating wording? First of all, they're totally decayed in seven months, which is, uh, or several months, which is fascinating that that would happen. And um, obviously a nuclear war would do that. But you notice here 
very carefully, they have this massive burial of Russian allied corpses, and it takes seven months to bury them. Okay, and in verse 15, they have to mark the bones, but don't pick them up. Don't touch them. Wait for professionals to come by to do that. Why would you not touch them? The only conclusion would have to be they're radioactive. You don't touch. And by the way, I did not know this. Chuck Missler points out the process of marking and waiting uh, is the same instructions, written here, is the same instructions in the United States Military Manual entitled Operator's Manual for Marking Set Contamination, colon, Nuclear, Biological, Chemical, NBC, U.S. Armed Forces. How about that? Our own armed forces already have a manual dedicated to that. I don't think that's a coincidence. Wow. And we do share a lot with Israel. Wow. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So that's as far as we want to read tonight for Ezekiel 39. Um, it goes on to say really how great the Lord is here, uh, how he has protected Israel, um, from what should have been a complete disaster for them. You know, it's amazing when you really can't do anything to help yourself. God really shows up big because he's the only one that's going to get the credit for it. Not your brains, not your army, not how well prepared you are. He and he alone gets the credit of it. And certainly there have been many times in history where that's happened. Now, this is not a biblical thing, and it really isn't even Christianity. But uh, do you know where the, where, where the word samurai comes from? It, uh, well... Um, prior to the order of the samurai, China invaded, was going to invade Japan. And there were something like a thousand boats on the water. And they saw them coming to them, and they're like, we're finished. If they land, we're finished. And it's a bright day, not a cloud in the sky, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean, they prayed. They're not Christians. They prayed. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wind comes and sinks the entire Chinese Navy, and they are preserved. And that's when the order of the samurai started, the order of the divine wind. How about that? So there certainly have been times in history where men get no credit for an entire nation being saved only by the hand of God. Obviously, God must have had some purpose for them in the future. Uh, but pretty wild. And uh, here... Uh, Men get no credit. Israel gets no credit. God gets all the credit. Then he goes on to say here in 39, he's going to restore their former fortunes. Uh, he's jealous for his namesake there. Um, and they're going to live securely with no one to make them afraid. Yeah, that'll probably do it. Um, of course, when the Antichrist comes, eh, it's going to be a little bit different picture. Um, and we see here it goes on to talk about, uh, I shall show myself holy. Uh, and of course, the Lord here, gets the credit. Uh, I will not hide my face from them any longer. Now we're talking really prophetic times here with the Messiah returning. For I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So it's something where um, I'm sure they have a lot of rejectors here of, of the Lord, and now they get really clear picture of the one you're rejecting is the one who just saved your entire nation. Because you've got to remember, Israel is not a religious nation. It's a secular nation. Very secular, very secular. 
the lot of the citizens of Israel do not like the uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews that are there. Uh, there's always a contention between the two of them. They're the ones that control all the money, and they tend to control the politics, but the majority of Israel is not, it definitely is not, a, uh, a religious nation. It's a very secular nation. Uh, in fact, rabbis have been known to throw rocks on buses that try to uh, drive on the Sabbath. <laughs> you know, these people don't get along with each other too well. Uh, but still, it's, it's an amazing uh, country uh, that obviously God has set aside because of his promise to Abraham uh, for these last days. So as we move here to a close on all this, um, I don't want to go any further here. I want to stop there. Uh, but let's talk about some things here. First of all, when we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 38, the beginnings of it, we need to remember there is nothing waiting for this to happen. There's nothing prophetically waiting for this to happen. That's a big deal. Wow. That's a wow deal. Um, so what do we do now then as believers here? We're talking about living in the biblical end times. Well, first of all, we're watching. I think that's good. We're watching current events, but what are we watching for? So these are some things from, originally from Chuck uh, Messler. Uh, watch for Russia and Iran to grow tighter. They are tight already. Watch, watch for them to grow much tighter. Look for that to continue. That's a big one to look at in the news. Watch for Russia and Germany to get closer. They are already aligned economically. They're not the best of friends, but they're already aligned economically. That's serious. Where you put your money, your heart's going to be there too. Right? Well, I may not like you, but I sure like making money with you. And that's about all they're going to care. So watch for those bonds to become tighter. Now, this is amazing because, you know, you're talking about NATO nations here that they have already have their hand into. Watch for Turkey to have closer economic ties with Russia. They already do. That's a big United States player in that part of the world. And they already have economic ties with Russia. Wow. Watch for that to tighten. Um, all the players for this that we looked at are already here on this end time scenario. They're already in place. Nothing has to happen yet. You couldn't say that prior to 2010. Prior to 2010, well, this isn't lined up. Well, that's not lined up. Well, guess what? It's all lined up now. Wow. I remember when people were teaching on this in the 80s. Well, you know, Gomer, Germany, that has to be East Germany. Surprise, it's Germany, not East Germany. People were a little surprised at that, huh? Well, certainly Turkey won't align with it. Yes, they have been. And it goes on and on. So a lot of things that surprised people, everyone thought the walls of communism wouldn't fall. This is a communist move. Nope, says Russia, not USSR. Amazing things have happened on this international stage of nations since the 1980s that is phenomenal. I mean, the picture today looks very different, far more, far more biblical than what it looked like back in the 80s when I first had been taught these things and looked at it. Um, there was one brother in the Lord. I don't remember his name. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He predicted everything correctly. He predicted the Afghanistan, the, the Afghanistan war long before it happened. 
And people laughed at him and said, Russia will go south. And he was 100% correct. Uh, that brother is with the Lord now. Uh, he was an amazing guy. Uh, uh, and so there have been people who have been getting this correctly over the years. But that's the point, though, toward tonight. There's nothing left to be aligned. It's all aligned. So moving on to some closing points here. What do we take from all this other than we're watching? Uh, some bullet points here to look at. And we've been saying this every week. Number one, fear not. This is not a time to fear or be put into fear. Um, our times are in his hands, and he knows how to keep his people. So for the believer, these are very exciting days we live in. Uh, great things have been revealed to us in the 20th and 21st centuries that all centuries of Christians prior to us didn't have a glimpse of. Almost everyone, almost everyone prior to the, uh, the 20th century in Christianity, had a post-millennial view. In other words, we're all going to Christianize the world, everybody's going to get saved, and then Jesus will return. Wrong. That was not the view at all. How about that? And there are still some mainline denominations, like Catholicism, that still hold that view. But um, it's becoming more and more unpopular. Uh, because of the world events that we live in, this can't be a coincidence. So we're living in exciting biblical days. Also, the second point here is we don't want to be ignorant of the evil days we live in. I'm paraphrasing Paul here, but we don't want to be ignorant of the evil days we live in. It's a time for us to be very sober about the days we live in and not drunk with this world's interests, this world's pursuits, um, this world's uh, deception and lie to us to take our eyes off the Lord and the soberness of the days we live in. Um, everyone wants to run the church when everything goes wrong. You should have been living with God before then. Saw a cartoon one time about the Simpsons. I thought it was hilarious. It was, they announced the end of the world, and the church is right next to a bar. Everybody in the church runs into the bar. Everybody in the bar runs into the church. You wonder how true that is. That would be sad, right? That would be, that would be amazing. So part of all this info that we have here is, about not being ignorant of the days we live in, is that what sort of lives should we be living? So that's very, very important that we always ask that personal question. Um, my opinion is too many Christians uh, need to be more serious about the days they live in and how they plan their future, how they plan their days. Um, one great evangelist, Leonard Ravenhill, he's with the Lord now, he said one time, is what you're living for worth what Christ died for? It's always the question we ask ourselves. Am I living in a way that I ought to? Am I taking sober and serious the days I live in? For sure, this is a time to pray for America. We work while it's day. When the night comes, no one can work. This is the time we need to pray for our country. It should be a major prayer issue. Um, and prayer is one of the greatest parts we play in this day that we live in. Uh, cannot emphasize that enough. In the Lord's Prayer, it says it all. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Here on this earth as already being done in heaven. When I pray for my nation every day, that is part of my prayer, that his will would be done in the United States of America. And shame and frustrate all those who are opposed to it. I don't want harm to come to them. I want them to get saved. But their plans should be shamed and come to naught because they oppose him. 
So this is a great part that we have an honor to do that. Pray for the spirit of salvation to come for the Jewish people, uh, for um, the gospel to go forth. We live in very, very difficult times. It's a time, again, for the Lord's church to be very serious about sharing the gospel. Even if people won't listen, there are certainly so many that will. Uh, for every one that won't listen to you, there will be ten that will listen. So let's go find them. Who, where are they? Uh, obviously, if the cults are having great success with this, that goes to show you the hunger is out there. That people want to know. People are asking questions. We have their answers. So and even if uh, it's just a prayer issue, pray for your neighborhoods. Pray for great things to happen where his will would be done. Even though you, know, you don't have to figure out what it is, but that it would be done. Because we know his will is revealed in his word. And certainly we need to see that revealed. Also, it's a time for our, us to be very serious about our finances. To promote the kingdom of God. That's a very important issue, and that's a personal thing with people. Nobody can tell you what that is. It's really personal. But certainly people could um, take finances that they have uh, and be more serious about how they will promote the kingdom of God with it. It's a personal que question. Okay, number three here, my third point here, is we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to watch and keep our eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Then here's a couple verses for that. That's that simple. Uh, from the King James, James chapter 5, verse 8. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the, Lord is, for the coming of the Lord draweth near. He draws near. Nearer than it was yesterday, nearer than it was 10 years ago. He draws near, nearer than it's ever been. Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Love that scripture. Such a goodie. Psalm 31, verse 15. So how about if we stand up for our last verse, as we've been doing every week, which is, again, one of the foundation verses for why the Church of Grace and Peace exists that was given prophetically to the Healies, is Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, Amplified Bible. And he will be the security and stability of your times, a treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. Let's pray here. Father God, we thank you that our Lord Jesus is the security and stability of our times. We fear not. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed such things to us. Help us, Father, in our understanding. Help us, Father God, to live in such a way that we take... Seriously, Lord, the days we live in to honor you. That, Father God, we would not be a time where we're drunk with this world's pleasure, but have our eyes soberly upon you, enjoying the richness of our salvation with great joy. We thank you for this, Lord God, for in the days ahead, for everyone who would hear this, whether here in this room, on the Internet, on podcasts, that, Father, we would uh, be a people that live for the praise of your glory. Help us understand, Father, personally what that is to us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen.